Welcome to Rental Store Rants. It's uh, just an incidental thing of me talking by myself. I thought I'd do this real quick because I recently wrote something for a blog post for our blogspot, which is rentalstorerumble.blogspot.com. We don't use it very often, but I'll probably post more things like that on there, and maybe sometimes I'll do an audio version of that as well. So I'll just go ahead and do this for you, a little extra recording. So here we are at the end of the year. It has been a strange journey for me, honestly. This is in large part due to the fact that I now run a podcast. The Rental Store Rumble podcast thing has turned from an interesting idea for me to the most time-consuming hobby ever. This is not a complaint, mind you. I believe that we produce something worthwhile and fun to listen to. I also put a lot of effort in because I'm pretty much the only person doing it all myself, other than having two other people watch the movies with me and then talk about them. I won't go into all that here, but I can say for sure that producing something, even of our mediocre quality, can be a daunting task at times. No, This no way means that I dislike it, however. It is nice to pretty much make entertainment for free, especially so much so in such a short time. But we now have reached the end of year 2021. So we talk about movies on the podcast, as you people well know. And when I think of New Year's movies, the first one that comes to mind for me is The Phantom Carriage from 1921. That makes it 100 years in 1921 since it came out. So I guess now that this is New Year's Day, 101 years. That's a lot of people being carriage drivers. So let's get down to it. This is a silent film directed by Victor Jostrom. That's Jostrom. I don't, I can't pronounce Swedish names, but we'll just roll with it. Like most silent films, the version I watched is an amalgamation of several versions re-edited together to create this Frankenstein monster of a version that is its best looking and longest one available. It may not be as famous as Nosferatu or Sherlock Jr., but this one holds a special place in my heart, kind of. I first heard of it by reading about it, and it took me until the dawn of Netflix, actually, as a streaming service to A, remember it existed, and B, get around to watching the damn thing. On my first viewing, I was pretty surprised that people weren't talking about it more. I also felt it was not the greatest thing I had ever seen. For some reason, I watched it five months later, around New Year's Eve, and it clicked a little better for me. Not that I think it improves on repeat viewings too much, but more that this film is something you have to be in the right mindset to truly enjoy. It is the film's biggest curse as well as its biggest blessing. Tonight, I rewatched it for the first time with my wife, Holly. Tonight, meaning yesterday. I am reading something. <laughs> so, yesterday. I rewatched it for the first time with my wife Holly. This was partly due to the fact that I think of it every new year and because it was the 100th anniversary year. The plot goes like this. Sister Edit, a Salvation Army worker, is dying and has one simple demand. She wants to see a man named David Holm one last time. In fact, she won't stop blabbing about it. So, a co-worker named Gustafsson goes looking for him on New Year's Eve. He can't seem to find him, but David Holmes' wife follows him back, and Sister Edit and Mrs. Holmes give each other knowing looks and cry to one another over the man. 
Meanwhile, David is hanging out with his friends in a cemetery getting drunk near the town clock like you do. And he mentions that he had a friend named Georges who died last year. I don't know how to pronounce it. Roll with it. This Georges guy used to get insanely somber every New Year's Eve and refused to join in any merriment. This is because he knows that the last person to die on New Year's Eve is forced to be in, be the carriage driver for death and go around reaping souls until someone replaces him next year. It also seems that this one year stretches out in their mind as if it were 100, probably because there are a lot of dead people to visit. Anyway, David relays this story to his friends, and Gustafsson actually finds David in the cemetery. He pleads David to go see Sister Edit and basically brushes... David basically brushes Gustafsson off. This starts an argument with David's friends, and a fight ensues in such a way that David ends up unconscious or dead. He then sees the phantom carriage. It is driven by his old friend, Georges, and the guy is pretty much unhappy that it is David that's the one taking over for him. So they go to Sister Edit to reap her soul, perhaps. It is basically a flashback at this point to David's turn to badness, I suppose, where he starts hanging out with Georges and becomes an alcoholic. He leads his brother astray, and his brother ends up killing a guy, while David is drunk in a drunk tank, essentially. His wife and kids leave him. This causes David to go on a revenge spree of self-destruction, where he does dangerous stuff and drinks a lot. He gets consumption at some point, but he doesn't care as his heart is cold from the loss of his wife, and he loses faith in both God and humanity. These events lead him to one day seeking refuge in the Salvation Army, where Sister Edit slaves over fixing his coat as he sleeps. This is on the previous New Year's Eve. When he wakes up, he tears the fixed coat up in front of her and informs her of how he feels about everything. She asks if he would return next year, New Year's Eve to visit her and tell her if he had a good year. She prayed for him while he slept and wants to know if her prayers were answered. Over the next year, he has a few interactions with her and she reintroduces to him reintroduces him to his wife who he has sworn to make miserable once he sees her. He cannot, however, and begins to live with her once again. During this time, he falls into his old habits, and he's an absolute bastard, too. He knows he is sick and intentionally coughs into his children's face. He throws his handkerchief into his wife's face and even flicks his daughter's head while she sleeps. What a dick. Well, anyway, when Georges and David are there to watch Edit die, they hear her saying that she loves David and only wants to know that he is happy. She believes he is a good man and that he can change. Georges then informs David that they must go somewhere else, um, as someone else is to take her, I guess. This is after he's sad and cries all about the stuff that happened. It might also be important to mention that Edit is actually sick from David being around her or fixing his coat and her interactions with them and stuff. And she doesn't have a very good immune system. So they go to Mrs. Holmes' place to discover that she intends to kill herself and her children with poison this night. 
David can only look on in horror and plead with God and death to let him do something as he repents for his sins. Then, for whatever reason, Georgia sends him back to his body and he wakes up. He, of course, stops Mrs. Holm from doing this and commits himself to be a better person for them. And the film ends. The message of this movie is steeped in the ideas of hope and overall righteousness. And I mean righteousness in not so much a religious tone, but one of overall goodness. The film, of course, has references to religion and the idea of it, but it isn't entirely about that. It is about struggle and hope, being crushed by life, and being selfish, and of course the journey to maturity of oneself, and that it is never too late to do better for others as much as yourself. It is a powerful message that I think accidentally becomes more so powerful due to its setting being around New Year's. We all know that lots of people make New Year's resolutions to be better people, or do this or that. Often these are fairly selfish resolutions, but the idea of New Year's resolutions is so indelibly ingrained into popular culture that virtually everyone at this point knows what one is before they can even comprehend the idea of what it means. Often, people associate the idea of doing better for yourself and becoming a better person with this odd notion. All I can say is that whatever I do for myself doesn't really affect people outside of me, or at least to a certain extent. I don't seem to care about myself as much as I do other people. And this is kind of a negative thing, to be honest. But it is also incredibly selfless in some ways, and selfish in others. Make no mistake, I can be pretty selfish and lazy. This has more to do with care of others that I really have no connection with. It is a fault of my own. That being said, I care for people as a populace and only wish everything was okay for everyone. One of the only ways to be better is to improve yourself, however. The only real reason I ever attempt such a futile effort as improving my fatally flawed self is seemingly for my care of others. Though this has more to do with friends and family for me, and when you think about it, they are part of the populace, so... I spout all of this, random and useless gibberish, because that is sort of the thing that the movie is talking about. And this is why the, it's the perfect movie for New Year's Day more than New Year's Eve. It's a film that's well made, and it can just make you think things about yourself or look in on yourself. Sometimes this can be a positive thing. In the case of Phantom Carriage, I think it is. It is part of the magic of the film, and also a big part of its persistence instead of obscurity after 100 years. There's just something about it. I love the effects, too. In the archaic way they used to do things, the carriage and driver are somewhat transparent, giving them an ethereal quality. This is Uncanny Valley-type stuff, especially for silent films, and even more especially for ones with this kind of subject material. I love silent films, but few of them have heavy subject matter like this. A lot of them were experimentation, and moving pictures as a medium of art was so young in the grand scheme of things at the time. This is one of those that plays with narration and meaning. It also plays with effects and lighting. If you don't like silent films to begin with, this is not going to change your mind at all. It's a film for a certain kind of person. And I don't mean to make that sound like some person who has better taste. 
as it uh, must have just sounded like, oftentimes people value different things in either entertainment or art, and that is absolutely fine. If for some reason you don't like silent films, there isn't some fault in you that you should fix or something by looking in after some kind of weird unconscious death dream, it is simply because it doesn't appeal to you. And I get that. I used to not really get it, though. A long time ago, if you were to say, I hate the Phantom Carriage, it's boring and preachy, I would have spouted a bunch of nonsense about film history at you and then given you a look of confusion because you can't find these things enjoyable. Much like David Holm, however, I have over the years developed a maturity of self and soul, or at least had an attempt to do so. If you don't like silent films, I mean, it's just not for you. That's all it is. If you love them and haven't seen this one, you should check it out and talk to me about it. I am a fan of this movie, and I seem to be more so with every viewing. Just because something says Criterion on it, it doesn't always mean it is high art. This is one of those times that you can trust Criterion's fancy label of approval, however. With that being said, have a happy new year, everyone. Make it a good year, no matter what it is, whatever's happening in the world. We all still have time to be excellent to each other, as Bill and Ted would say. Much like the Phantom Carriage's message, it is never too late to do better, and we can all use some better, however we get it. So, good luck out there, and join us this month for, you know, more normal podcasts that are nothing like this. More like a versus, a Thunderdome, where two films enter and one film leaves. But this month it will all be James Bond related. So, we hope to see you there, and we'll see you in not that long, I suppose. Adios, au revoir, auf Wiedersehen. Contact us at rentalstorerumble at gmail.com for questions, comments, hanging out, or requests for an episode. You can find us on Facebook as rental.rumble, Twitter at rentalrumble, Instagram at rentalstorerumble, as well as on Slasher, and rentalstorerumble.blogspot.com. Check us out on all the podcast platforms as well as anchor.fm slash rental dash store dash rumble. Music by me and cover art by Gwyneth Anderson. Keep drinking that Tranya.